I'm going to read for us uh, today our teaching text before Ashley comes uh, forward. So today we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. We'll be in chapter 58. Um, if you have one of the shed Bibles in your house, but if you do, it's on page 686. And we'll begin at verse 6. It starts like this. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church family. A quick story to start us off this morning. It was my very first in-class assignment in grad school at Judson University. And Dr. Berliner handed each student a single-sided sheet of paper with 40 very simple math problems and instructions in small print that read this. Complete these as rapidly as possible. Time is of the essence. Fast, fast, fast if you can. You only have one minute to complete it. The minute started and we were off. Eight plus two, nine plus 11, four times three. I ticked off each problem one by one, a sense of pride swelling up in me because until that point, math was never my strongest suit. So I was feeling good with seconds to spare. I finished all 40 problems along with a handful of other students I could tell were finished. But with pins down, I looked around the room and saw a few students still struggling brows furrowed, and pens very hesitant. The minute was up, and Dr. Berliner revealed the answers on the projector. 8 plus 2 equaled 16. 9 plus 11 equaled 99. 4 times 3 equals 1. As we checked our work, every single answer I'd scribbled down was wrong. Seeing disappointment across most of the students' faces, Dr. Berliner called our attention to the rest of the instructions, which read this. In the following simple arithmetic problems, a plus sign means to multiply. A divide sign means to add. A minus sign means to divide. And a time sign means to subtract. Complete the problems following these directions. My mishap was simple. I had not read all of the instructions. I'd assumed I'd know what to do to meet the stated goal, but in the end, my assumptions and the formulas that usually worked in my favor when completing simple math were actually to my detriment. The math was still simple. It just looked different, and I had completely missed the point. Parenthetically, I still have this assignment in my home to this day to remind me of how impactful this assignment was to me, not just as a leader, but as a person. And as a Christ follower, 
Mars Hill, as a church, we have a mission. And we've been walking through this mission for the past four weeks. It's living out the way of Jesus in missional communities, announcing the arrival of his kingdom, and finally working for measurable change among the oppressed. We've been handed the instructions by the word of God and have the counsel of the Holy Spirit available to us. And yet I can't help but wonder, particularly in this season of chaos and change and disappointment and transition, what circumstances would cause us to live out this mission we've been handed, only to get to the end of this span of weeks and months and realize we made it about something other than what it was intended to accomplish. Our own comfort, our own agendas, our own timelines, our own well-being, our own cocktail of justifiable reasoning. How tragic it would be to get to the end of this season or even of my life and realized we missed something. How tragic it would be to get to the end of our lives and realize together we missed something. And it wasn't hard or even hidden. It was right there. And yet somehow we might get to the end of whatever this is and completely miss the point. Last week we looked at a text from Isaiah 11 and unpacked what it meant for the kingdom of God to come from little, to be fair to the least, and to usher in this reign of peace. We read this text called the Peaceable Kingdom. And this week, we find ourselves in Isaiah again as we focus on the last portion of our church's mission statement, working for measurable change among the oppressed. Chapter 58, our text for today, is part of a collection of chapters written as oracles from the restoration period after exile. It's written to the residents of Jerusalem during and after Israel's return in 539 BCE. So going into this chapter, Israel had rebuilt the temple and the people were taking great care to observe the temple rituals. They thought of themselves as painstakingly religious in their observance of certain rites. And here we see they were seeking after God daily, eager to know his ways and decisions as if they were a nation that did what was right, if you read earlier in verse 2. So they're observing this ritual of fasting. And yet, according to them, something's not right. The Lord's not turning his attention toward them. They're crying out, why have we fasted and you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Pause for a second right there. Note the core of their concern. We did what we were supposed to do. And you, God, aren't doing what we think you're supposed to do. There was something the people expected from God in return for their outward displays of holy devotion and humility. And yet, look at God's response through the prophet in verse 3 and 4. The prophet said, yet on this day of fasting, you do as you please. 
and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. God is saying, you think you're doing what you're supposed to on occasion to earn my gaze and my favor. And yet, my people, you have missed the point. It wasn't God whose response was broken. Outwardly, Israel was going through the motions. They were ticking the boxes of religion, thinking those things would make them holy. But those actions didn't translate to what God was calling them to in the way of justice and generosity in their midst. As a matter of fact, they didn't just ignore the oppressed. They exploited their own workers, overworking them to the point where they couldn't participate in worship services. They fought one another, creating increased division and tension, missing what mattered to the heart of God. Does this sound familiar at all? Mars Hill, with everything in me, I do not want us to miss the point especially now as we march onward into a reality that is day by day, creating increased levels of division, uncertainty, and inequity around us. We can be a people that works for measurable change among the oppressed, but we must pay close attention to the instructions. We must resist becoming too distracted or motivated by what we think we know. We must resist becoming too distracted by other people's groanings and laments that are unfounded in the heart of God. We must resist becoming distracted by quarreling that's not constructive, that actually leads us to be further distance one another, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually too. Now, this morning isn't about working harder or proving or earning it is by grace that we get to step into this invitation. But what I do hope is that in the words from the prophet, we find ourselves realigned afresh to God's heart and recharged with hope that propels us forward. So let's examine just two components of that realignment. Our action and its impact. First, let's look at action. The very first word of this portion of our mission statement is what? Working. Working. Now, working is an action verb. But for all you grammar nerds like me, so is considering. Considering is also an action verb. Um, recently, as a part of my own personal self-care plan, I've been watching the first couple episodes of a really feel-good show on Amazon Prime called The Pack. The Pack. It's about dogs and their human partners who travel around the world on teams, competing in these little mini challenges as they go all around the world. It's so wonderful. It's so lovely. And on one event, there was a search and rescue challenge. Now, to prepare these everyday dogs, there wasn't anything special about these dogs training before the show. To prepare these dogs for this challenge, the show's trainers taught the dogs how to recognize the very distinct scent of birch oil. So by the time they got to the rescue simulation site, guess which dogs did the best? The dogs who did the best weren't the ones who just considered the presence of the scent. 
The ones who did the best recognized it, and then they actively worked toward alerting the humans who could set the trapped person free. Church, we're in a training ground of a season. All around us are opportunities to recognize the inbreaking of God's kingdom, as we talked about last week. There's so many opportunities for that, even amidst the chaos. So many opportunities to discern and listen to the one voice that matters, the voice of God through the word of God, Jesus Christ himself through the scriptures. And yet we're not called to just consider what change could be like for the most oppressed in our midst. We are called on mission to actively work toward measurable change that proclaims freedom found in Christ. Let's look more closely at what that action specifically looked like in Isaiah 58. Let's look at verse 6, which Troy read for us already. The Lord posed this question through the prophet. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Look at those words again. Loose, untie, set free, break. Picture for a minute, even if you have to close your eyes, actually working through each one of those actions. Loosing chains tied around someone's limbs. Untying the cords of the yoke, for example, which meant engaging people in that day up close who were being treated like animals, regarded as inferior and disposable. This type of action is an action at an arm's length, church. It's not just occupying our thoughts but it's embodied and it's up close and personal and it's risky and it's messy and it doesn't make sense sometimes. If it's a graph that we're moving along, a continuum that we're working along, it's this, it goes from consideration of someone's oppression or injustice to recognition, to knowing it when we see it. But then it's not just knowing it when we see it in recognition, it's moving closer in proximity Choosing to go from being at an arm's length to up close enough to actually touch the chains and untie the yoke. And then, it's not just about being up close, it's about a demolition process. And we'll get to that in a minute. This continuum moves us from mere awareness and performative action from the comforts of our couches or our lawns to actively seeking out injustice around us in our midst. Here's a hunch I have. Renewal and freedom for the oppressed may not be realized from the hum of our present routines. But disrupt the routine and actively seek out injustice, grow proximate not just to the issue, but to the individuals the issue impacts, and an opportunity to work toward measurable change and mutual relationship just might be revealed. So as an example, recently, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, or NCRC. They did a study on the impact of redlining in neighborhood health. Redlining was the process in the 30s that many U.S. banks used to deny mortgages to mostly people of color in urban areas, preventing them from buying a home in certain neighborhoods or getting a loan to renovate their house. 
In over 140 cities, the NCRC took maps that detailed the boundaries of redlining from the 1930s and then compared those maps to the CDC's Social Vulnerability Index. Here are the maps of Grand Rapids. So you can see it's clear that where those red districts were drawn to keep certain people out of certain places of our city, fast forward to today, and those are some of the same areas. Other areas surrounding it also even more vulnerable today socially than other areas of our city. Here are some key takeaways from that study. Across the board, for decades, Low-income and minority communities were intentionally cut off from lending and investment through a system known as redlining. Today, those same neighborhoods suffer not only from reduced wealth and greater poverty, but from lower life expectancy and higher incidence of chronic diseases that are risk factors for poor outcomes from COVID-19. This is why we stay vigilant in our compassion church. This is why we stay active in working toward measurable change. So question, as we look at this scale, as we look at this continuum and consider inequities like those found right here in our very city, if we're really honest, how activated are we on behalf of the oppressed? Now, granted, it might look different in a reality where we're physically distanced, but how might this present an opportunity for deeper awareness, training ground, creativity that will propel you forward by the Spirit's leading? But to move beyond consideration and recognition on this continuum to proximity and then demolition, we must understand how our mission is lived out, which moves us to impact. Let's, what, let's look at what the prophet continues to say in verse 7. Is not the kind of fasting I want to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? What we see here is an impact that is active and it's also measurable versus incremental. Um, so remember just a couple months ago when it was summer and we could go to the beach? This is a picture of my son. And uh, we loved going to the beach. We went to the beach probably five times over the span of just a few short weeks because we loved it so much. And here's what I'd noticed. Anytime my kids were playing in the sand, if they wanted to bury one of us underneath the sand or if they wanted to build a sandcastle, taking a pinch from their bucket and sprinkling just a few meager grains of sand onto the pile or onto the castle was technically a change, but it wasn't a measurable one. It wasn't enough to over time notice the difference in the development of that mound or of that castle. And what we see in this illustration is that the type of change described here in Isaiah 58 isn't change that's incremental. It's not just a few grains of sand. It's immediate and it's measurable. Look at that language that's used. The prophet says, when you see, when you see, this type of impact church requires that we are present 
and available, to see and act immediately in response to or on behalf of an individual's dignity and needs. But when we look back to verse 6, and this is the part I promised we'd pick up later, the word break or natak in Hebrew literally means to pull or tear apart. The people of God were being called then not just to meet individual needs or to break the structural yokes of the oppressor that they could never be oppressed again. They were called to do away with those structures completely. Completely. We receive the same call then, church, to meet immediate needs, but to also pursue the demolition of structures that would cause any oppression in the first place. There's a book that I'm reading called Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. It's written by Esau McCauley. It's a wonderful read. And he says this about this specific passage from Isaiah. McCauley says, according to Isaiah, true practice of religion ought to result in concrete change, the breaking of yokes. He does not mean the occasional private act of liberation, but to break the chains of injustice. What could this mean other than a transformation of the structures of societies that trap people in hopelessness? Jesus has in mind the creation of a different type of world. And that's a world that we in part talked about last week. We said justice isn't partisan. It's kingdom. Some might spend their time and energy upholding or entertaining politically charged definitions of justice, oftentimes defined only by which person in power loses. But we, church, must live into a reality where injustice is defined by the oppressed being set free in Christ. One of my very first interactions with the community here at Mars Hill was through the formation school two cohorts ago with Tim Nelson, one of our other pastors. And on this retreat, we went to this brick building and we sat in this chapel and we were sharing parts of our day and, and really going through reflections of our, our day together. And the doors to this chapel were open. And as we're sharing, this lady walks in and she sits down. And after a few minutes, you know, it was a small group, so she was clearly noticeable, but she got up and went to the front of the chapel. And she herself shared what the Lord had been doing in her life. Now, we didn't know this woman. But instead of saying, hey, um, this is a closed or, or private group. I was stunned by how beautifully the formation school welcomed her in. And as so we could continue in our day together, I walked this woman out and I walked her down the street. And believe it or not, the street we were on is the exact same street where East Congregational Church is today. And I walked her down Giddings. And I said, tell me a little bit of your story. So she did. And over the course of her telling us a little bit about her story and her living situation, she lived in one of the neighborhoods that would have been in red on that map. She told me about a need that she had, a very specific one. Now, word got around our formation school. And before I knew it, that day, this woman had in her home a brand new mattress. It didn't take months or years. <laughs> it took hours 
And I was so compelled and inspired by the spirit, the collective spirit within our formation school gathering because they saw this woman. They didn't just say, hey, you, you're allowed. They said, no, you're welcome. You're welcome to be part of who we are. Not only are you welcome, but if you have a need, we're here to help meet it. Church, I knew that day that this would be a body of believers that I would love being a part of because of your generosity, and not just your generosity, but because of who you are in times when people's individual needs need meeting. I was so inspired by that. So we understand a little bit more the type of action this part of our mission requires. We understand kind of the intensity and the impact that it needs to have as measurable, not just incremental. But finally, it's worth considering who this mission is for. Words we would read later in Isaiah 61, if we were to flip a couple chapters over, appear also in a similar fashion in Luke 4:18, when Jesus told us who he came for. He said in front of this gathering, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Church, this mission lived out isn't just for them, the people in the neighborhoods that are socially vulnerable. This mission isn't just for them as if there are brothers and sisters part of the body whose freedom is unrelated and untethered to our own. The mission was Christ's mission first, and it was for all of us, the poor in spirit, those imprisoned in sin, those blinded by hard-heartedness and oppressed by the systems of this world. This mission isn't just our church's mission. This mission was grounded and founded in Christ Jesus himself. So just like my grad school assignment... <laughs> Working for measurable change among the oppressed will look different. Different from what? In a power-hungry world willing to hold on to that power at any cost, working for measurable change among the oppressed gives away sacrificially. In an anxious world filled with fear, working for this type of change moves closer, not farther away. In a world that creates hierarchy of worth based on opinion, politics, appearance, economics, working for this type of change breaks those structures down and sets people free. But as we continue in this text that has stirred me for years in Isaiah 58, here's the beautiful promise from God to his people. If, if you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk. Church, do away with it. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. This is the beauty of stepping in to a mission where we remember what the point is. And we don't forget what we're called to do, who we're called to be.
as we move into our final practice together from this series, two words stick out from that last portion of the text in verse 10. Spend yourself. Those two words translate to granting your soul to or giving to those in need what you'd want for yourself. We're heading into a week where I've been reflecting on both gratitude while also acknowledging and holding what's very hard for certain individuals and people. I've been reflecting on the pain and the oppression of indigenous peoples of our country. The upcoming holiday is layered to say the least. And yet in that space of reflection, Mars Hill, you are at the top of my list of what I'm grateful for. We may not be together in person right now, but don't underestimate who you are as a church that's one body in many places. Your encouragement, your overwhelming generosity, your collective longing for renewal and realized kingdom impact is absolutely stunning. Over the years, you have granted your soul to, you have spent yourself on perseverance and hope. And hopefully this final practice that we engage in together this week will put us in a posture of individually and collectively seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance yet again as we head into the unknown and into this precious, meaningful Advent season. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss the point. There's so many places my energy and our energy and our attention could be right now. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want to miss what God longs for us to see that's exposed and lit up and illuminated in us and the church and our world. I don't want to miss who is placed in front of me to see and be in relationship with. So our discipline for this week is simple. It's just two questions. And it's this practice of listening and then responding in eager obedience. So if you're at home, if you have the ability to quiet yourself right now, and if not, if the dog's going crazy or the kids are asking for more pancakes, I understand. Perhaps engage this practice later on this week. Just two questions. As you sit and ask the Holy Spirit to speak, who's someone whose individual needs are pronounced in this season? It's just so obvious that they have needs to be met. Or what deeper structural injustice are you calling our attention to, Lord? As you sit, is there some injustice? Is there something that's not right in the world that you just sense the Lord is calling you to pay closer attention to? And then as you note this injustice or this need as the week goes on, especially as we approach Thursday in the holiday weekend, would you be so bold as to ask the Lord, what action are you asking me to take in pursuit of measurable change? 
interesting, the word you throughout this text is actually the singular tense. So though we are pursuing this together as a church, there are implications for your individual life and how you answer this question personally. My prayer for us, Mars Hill, is that we would respond in obedience. If the Spirit leads you this week to sponsor a meal for an entire family, sponsor a meal for an entire family. If you're prompted to meet a neighbor's need across the fence, respond quickly and with joy. If you're prompted to reach out to a local organization or to learn more about a disparity, and then you work to show up to meet it, show up. If you're prompted to pray for the same person or family every single day, then pray and commit to checking in with that person on a regular basis. The point isn't that we become a community of box checkers, ticking off religious duty in order to gain God's attention toward us. It's not that we do things perfectly. The point is that Jesus came to set the captives free. And he calls us to join him in that work here and now. May we not miss that point. So as we come to the table, we're reminded that this meal is a tangible reminder that Jesus was the one who humbled himself and worked for measurable change in the earth among us as a human, the oppressed in spirit. He moved and he lived among us. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died. He was buried and then he rose again. And because of that work on the cross church, we are set free. And this meal it's such a beautiful reminder. May we use that freedom as we approach the table today as an opportunity to selflessly, lavishly serve one another in love. We come to this table asking God to examine our hearts and to give us courage to take those next steps in obedience that he reveals to us this week. And it's in that spirit that I say from wherever you are watching today, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come Holy Spirit, wherever we are today. This meal that we are gathering out of crackers and juice or whatever we have in our homes, God, would it be this representation of spiritual nourishment? Would we sense your work in this meal, your reminders in this meal, your encouragement in this meal? Would you come afresh 
in our hearts and in our spirits today as we receive this meal apart and yet still together. In Christ's name, amen. Friends, we are joined by brothers and sisters all over. All over the world. And we are celebrating this meal today realizing that we have freedom. There are those in other parts of our city, in other parts of our country, other parts of the world who find themselves today oppressed. They find themselves under the thumb of unfair systems and structures. They are longing for at some point in their lives wrongs to be made righted. And yet we join with them as our brothers and sisters and proclaim this incredibly beautiful mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Church, receive who you are, the body of Christ.